Welcome to Blogs on Tape. Today's post is Thoughts Regarding Character Mortality and Old School Dungeons and Dragons. Written by Gus L. and originally published in April 2013 on his blog Dungeon of Signs at dungeonofsigns.blogspot.com. Thoughts Regarding Character Mortality and Old School Dungeons and Dragons one of the most frequent complaints about older versions of D&D is its high lethality, that characters die too often. More irksome for these detractors is that characters die randomly. They die from a single hit, a giant rat bite, falling down a pit with no saving throw, failing a 20% saving throw. Sometimes there's nothing the player, or worse, the whole party, can do to survive. Ambushed by a rain of arrows from 30 bandits in the wilderness, for example. It's understandable that this seems like arbitrary cruelty written into the systems. Pointless, meaningless death for no reason. I've come around to accepting this, though, and even relishing it, because I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding built into these critiques. It's not to say that they aren't valid, but they are a critique about the kind of game that OD&D is, not of broken rules. D&D is not heroic fantasy, it's low fantasy, and it's not a game of power fantasies for each player, but a game of collective world-building between players and GM. By power fantasy, I'm not trying to be dismissive to other games or genres that are about individual advancement of an avatar. I'm attempting to draw a distinction between a fantasy narrative that is of individual success, empowerment, and one that is the narrative of a world, like a history. Old-style D&D is not a story about any one player character. It's a story about the adventuring party as a whole, or at another level, a fictional world as a whole. That's why replacing characters is so easy. That's why power levels are relatively compressed, and monsters randomly encountered and not tiered. At an even more abstract level, it's about the game world and slowly revealing it in cooperation with the GM. 1. D&D is first a cooperative game. The players will only survive if they cooperate, and the better they plan and cooperate, the better they will survive. Yet it's also cooperation between the GM and the players. An interactive story told by the GM, interpreted by the players, and then changed by the GM to suit those players' interests. This is why OSR gamers... This is why OSR gamers tend to fetishize player choice and complain about railroads and quantum ogres. Both of these things detract from the player's ability to help weave the world. The rules subtly encourage player world-building via the XP system. Characters all seek to grow in survivability, and may only do so by plundering and then spending cash. They move wealth from ruins and lost places into a game economy. Since the characters can only advance by spending large amounts of gold, they do large things with it. In the OD&D game I play on Google+, 
player characters have tried to invent spells, built hidden shrines to dubious gods, bought property, erected memorial statues, and now, at 6th level, are attempting to rebuild a road with a fortified toll post to skim off new trade. None of this was planned by the GM. The world was just open for it, and even if our party gets wiped out by the forces of barbarism that object to new trade routes, we'll leave something behind, in addition to a treasure trove of equipment. If the plan succeeds, it'll be a trade route and tower, and if it fails, a half-built road, an army of dead mercenaries, and at least one impoverished town. It is also why a total party kill is a good thing. The destruction of the characters becomes part of the world. Example of a world-building TPK. When the random encounter dice show that the emboldened second-level party is ambushed by 30 longbow-wielding bandits, and the party is surprised, loses initiative, and falls to a swarm of arrows without a chance to respond, the game world gains something. Any GM that fails to then mark a bandit hideout with an especially effective and cruel gang of marauders in that hex is making a big mistake. Future parties will avoid that road unless they are seeking out the bandit band. If the bandits are ever killed, they should obviously have some of the dead party's stuff. 2. Your PC is bland for a reason. A first-level PC is a line of stats and has a fair chance of dying on his or her first adventure. This is because OD&D is not about great heroes with destinies. The adventurer is a bumbler, a down-on-his-luck ex-soldier, a disgraced wizard's apprentice, an exceptionally greedy thief, or an overreaching religious fanatic. Seeing the party for the first time and thinking, some of those mooks are not coming back, is the right response. Your character can become a hero, a mysterious individual with a backstory and power over time, but only through play. You start out as another guy in a battered suit of chainmail with a sword. One line or even a few words of description is good enough to build on. Check out the excellent character generator at the Save vs. Total Party Kill blog. Everyone should be using this because it creates interesting, vaguely defined, and ultimately disposable player characters, though it has a tendency to create creepy children. Sure, you may not have wanted to play a mature, obese elf in threadbare robes. Sure, you may not have wanted to play a mature, obese elf in a threadbare robe with the spell Hold Portal. But, seeing how this character will interact with the world is part of the story the game is creating. Over time, Rain-Eyes the Rotund will develop. If she somehow survives to 10th level, the threadbare robe will be replaced by something strange. The game world will undoubtedly provide a personality through play, and you're pretty likely to have an interesting character. If not a hero, then at least someone with a compelling backstory and a few unique traits. Flame trap scars, a golden animated hand, and an imp companion are all likely. What the character also has is a whole mess of dead companions. This is a good thing. From Groog the fighter, eaten by the first rat ever encountered, to the elf's much-missed magic user buddy, the shrouded necromancer, formerly Chumley, whose spellbook she now possesses. 
These losses also form a compelling character arc, because they aren't just background elements about the death of unnamed friends, and they create a background of fictional deeds the player will remember and act based upon with real knowledge and engagement. This becomes extra important when the GM is smart and lets evolving player eccentricity create world fiction. The character that decides to follow a minor god and makes up a fiction about that deity gives the GM's world a new cult, and how much the character's beliefs correspond to the GM's version of the god and religion is up to the GM, and provides quest hooks, or makes the PC alone crazy. Every band of goblins spared and taken into service creates a new subrace for potential replacement PCs, and every new spell researched can be stolen by, or sold to, another wizard. The flip side of this is that simple starting characters discourage drama. Players that want to play disruptive types still can, but if the PC survives, it will only be by working with the party, and they have no elaborate backstory to justify acting like a jerk. If they develop backstory in-game of the sort that can derail play, insanity or evil, say, it's as part of the adventure, and the other players will likely have figured out how to adapt or have some real sympathy. 3. Even as characters grow in uniqueness, it's the party that's important. As a companion to the above thought, it's not really the individual character at all who is the narrative agent or focus of the game. The adventuring party is the focus. Even if the member characters change, it's the same party, and it's the collective efforts of the players that writes the world fiction, only rarely the ideas of one player or the GM. Characters in OD&D don't split up and run all about the world solo. They make collective decisions to travel, delve certain dungeons, or battle certain factions. If one looks at the game from this perspective, the problem of arbitrary death is not a problem, it's integral to the game. Deaths ensure that the party will evolve and change over time and tell a story of its own. Without these characters' deaths, the danger of the world is never realized. The narrative will never have the tension of defeat. It's key to understand that as a cooperative exercise in fantasy world-building, individual residents of that world are most often not necessary to that larger story. In a sense, OD&D's punitive character death rules help make sure the game is not a set of oft-conflicting individual fantasies of the players about their individual avatars. The ability to sit down with a few other people and spin a fantasy world is what makes tabletop games uniquely fun, and I think OD&D's system for doing so emphasizes this aspect rather well. That was Thoughts Regarding Character Mortality and Old School Dungeons & Dragons. Written by Gus L. and read for you by Nick L. S. Whalen. Blogs on Tape is a project that works with authors to make great RPG blogs more accessible through audio recording. It's a communal effort, which you can help by pointing me towards the individual posts that deserve to be read on this podcast. I can only keep up with so many blogs myself. Reach me by email, ls at paperspencils.com. Thank you very much for listening.